starring Bela Day in... But, Ma, that's my favorite movie! Oh, well, all right. But don't you spend too much time in front of that TV, do you hear me? Yes, Ma. Well, hello! Welcome back to another episode of my podcast, But, Ma, that's my favorite movie, and I am your host Bila Day and before we go any further you know what I always have to do which is thank my listeners because yes I love to do this yes this is fun to me because movies are just my thing I love movies but what would a podcast be without people actually listening to it, right? And I just want to give a special shout out to all of my reoccurring listeners. So if um, you have been coming back, listening to the podcast, thank you so much. I appreciate you. You literally keep me going. You keep me young. Um, And so I just have to give a shout out and let you know that I appreciate your listens and I hope you definitely keep coming back and you're a real one period now if you are a new listener well then welcome I'm so glad that you decided to tune in to my podcast and you are definitely in for a treat today with the content and we hope this treat will keep you coming back for more All right, so today's episode is titled, But Ma, That's My Favorite Thriller Movie, Cause This Is Thriller, Thriller Night. Okay, no Michael Jackson, but this is a thriller episode because as I mentioned in the previous episode, we are in Halloween Eve month, okay? September is officially the Halloween Eve before we get into October, where we get into all the spooky, ooky, you know, spells and just creepy, all type of, you know, just Halloween-esque stuff. And we have to start getting prepared for this because, I mean, what else will we need September for but to just get us ready for October, right? So our movie focuses will be about thriller movies, okay? And I have two special movies today that I'm going to be talking about and I'm very excited to talk about. Um, So we're going to go ahead and just get into that thing, okay? So the first movie we're going to be talking about today, we're going to go ahead and get into it. And lights, camera, action. It could have all been different, Mr. Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. In the end, it will anyway. So let me in the fucking house! That quote is by David, who's played by Mark Wahlberg in the classic movie, Fear. This movie was released April 12th, 1996, and it was directed by James Foley, who also directed At Close Ranger and um, the House of Cards TV series. Um, then we have writer Christopher Crow, who um, who was also a writer for The Last Mohicans and Off Limits. And we're going to go ahead and get into the summary here. And actually, when I rewatch this movie, mind you, I've seen this movie a thousand times, but rewatching it, I got a little bit of a different perspective. And 
something that I got, well, I get these from all of the movies that I rewatch as a refresher because I pretty much thus far and probably for a while in the episodes are going to be talking about movies that I have already seen. I feel as though I have a pretty big catalog of movies that I've seen throughout my life. So when I'm getting to refreshing and rewatching these movies, I'm noticing, uh, like, um, I'm getting different perspectives of the movie or getting a better idea of what the movie is about. Like I'm starting to see these movies beyond the surface level idea that I had of it when I originally watched, you know, some of these movies. And so this was definitely one, like I almost was able to connect what the title meant versus what the actual storyline was about. And I felt that connection. Now I could be wrong, but I think maybe I, you know, I was kind of onto something, which I'll talk about after the summary. So let's start it off with, we are first starting to get a glimpse into the Walker family's life, okay? And the Walker family is an upper class family that lives in a secluded big house on top of a hill that's surrounded by this woodsy area. And this house even has their own freaking security. So that lets you know, I said upper class, but that pretty much lets you know what class the family is in as far as what they money looking like. Okay, so we can tell early on that Nicole, who's played by Reese Witherspoon, um, she does not have the best relationship with her dad. And she is a teenager and we know how teenagers act with parents, especially because they're in that stage where they think they know everything. They think no one can't tell them anything. And so they really butt heads. And... Her dad is named Steve, who's played by William Peterson. And when we meet them, and this is, you know, top of the morning. And right before Nicole is about to go to school, he critiques her clothes because he thinks it's too revealing for her age. Now, mind you, she's wearing, it's a pretty short dress. Um, it's not showing a lot of cleavage. But um, I guess because of how short it is, and it does look pretty small, but he's telling her like, um, are you going to wear that? And she's like, um, yeah, what's the problem? And so, of course, they are butting heads. Like I said, she's a typical teen. She's a typical teen who does not have any problem going head to head with her dad anytime he critiques her about anything. So their relationship is pretty rocky. Um, we're also introduced to Laura, who's played by Amy Bierman, who's Nicole's stepmom. And we also meet Toby, who's played by Christopher Gray, who is Laura's son slash Nicole's stepbrother. And he is much younger than Nicole. So we are finding out that the Walkers are a blended family and they're just trying to make it work because we have, you know, the husband who has, he came into the relationship with his daughter and the mom who came to the relationship with her son. Now, when Nicole ends up going to school during her lunch period, her friend Margot, played by Alyssa Milano, and Gary, played by Todd Coldcott, I hope I said that right, um, they are wanting to go to this pool hall slash food joint, and we're just going to call it Largo, because, well, that's the name of it. So 
they her friends are wanting to go to Largo. Now, Nicole is actually hesitant about going because she knows that their lunch isn't very long and she does not want to end up missing her next period. But of course, her friends are like, well, you know, it really doesn't matter. Like, we'll just go and come back. No big deal. Now, while they're at Largo, Margot notices a guy that she's she thinks is attractive who's playing pool. So mind you, this like it's like a pool house slash rest restaurant um but this place is pretty big um and they actually have like an upstairs so her friend margo sees the guy all the way upstairs playing pool and she's instantly attracted to him and we will come to find out that his name is Logan, who's played by Tracy Frim. And I hope I said that right. And then while Margot is staring him down, Nicole begins to do the same, like basically like looking at what she's looking at, not like she's attracted to him, but just staring in that same direction. And then we have another guy who comes into view, who's playing pool with that man. And we're going to learn to find out that is David, who's played by Mark Wahlberg, who did the quote that I um, said at the beginning of the mo- uh, beginning of the movie. This is a podcast, the beginning of the show. Um, so David actually does end up looking at Nicole. David actually catches Nicole looking at him and they end up exchanging looks. And initially you can tell that Nicole thinks he's cute, um, but you can't really read his face or his thoughts about what he thinks of her. But he does end up doing a double take, which lets you know pretty much what that means. Because when people do a double take, that that means they may be interested in what they're looking at versus them not looking at you and then never looking back. But, you know, you'll never know. So Margot ends up getting a flyer from this random guy. Um, and it's actually a rave that's going to be happening. Um, it's either like, I was kind of confused about the timeline. It's like, I think that next day or like that weekend or something like that. Um, and so Margot instantly is like, yeah, I want to go. And she asked Nicole to go. But Nicole mentions she has a family event to go to. But when Nicole is trying to get Margot to leave like the restaurant because they got their food. Okay, we need to go because we have to go back to school. Um, she ends up noticing David getting the flyer. And so you can assume he, if he got the flyer, he may be going. So then that makes Nicole more interested in going to the rave. So then the event that she was supposed to be having with her parents is actually a concert. And at one point, her dad had, um, you know, picked her up from... Margot's place because after school she went over to Margot's and so when her dad picked her up she actually starts kind of talking about possibly like not going to the concert like she's like dad do I have to go because basically I already seen him and then this conversation leads into her bringing up all these things she remembers that her dad doesn't even really remember so we're kind of discovering that they haven't really been connected that long um, which we'll learn about more of that a little bit later. But she's just trying to like be like, oh, do I really have to go? And the dad's like, oh, well, you know, we can have some body time. Like, you know, she has a stepmom now. So, you know, we can all be a family. And so Nicole's like, okay, whatever. Cool. I'll go. And so then her dad has a work emergency 
that pops up and he ends up having to fly out of town. So it turns out that they're not even able to go to the concert after all. So immediately Nicole calls Margot, lets her know that she, you know, lets her know that she can go to the rave because immediately dad's like, oh yeah, you know, I can't go. And Nicole acts upset, but it's like, girl, you know, you didn't want to go to begin with. So anyways, so then the rave comes and Margot ends up like once they go to the rave Margot ends up seeing the guy from Largo and immediately she goes up to him dances with them Nicole ends up like standing by herself and she's like kind of leaning on this like still pole and David like comes from the other side and they end up having this like short exchange like it's kind of short and sweet nothing like too like intimate or deep or anything it's just kind of like she's like oh why aren't you dancing he's like well no one's asked me to dance so very basic until a fight breaks out that actually involves his friend logan so then david ends up taking nicole with him as they're trying to escape the chaos because now like everyone in the rave is like running some people are fighting things are being like pushed down in there like it's crazy and so somehow David and Nicole end up on the roof and to like get away from the rave like I guess how about we just use the front door that doesn't happen let's just go on the top or climb down this fire escape right that sounds more reasonable now as Nicole is kind of like scared because I know I hate heights so I'd been scared as well but David climbs down the fire escape he encourages Nicole to do it Nicole as she's trying to do it she ends up seeing Margo appear on the roof with Logan and she like calls out to her because she's like okay I know I'm with this strange guy he's kind of cute but at the same time if I could be safe with my friend like why wouldn't I do that and so Margo's like oh I'll see you later like she doesn't even bat an eye like girl come with me let's go because if I'm not mistaken I think Margo drove her there so I'm like why wouldn't you make sure your friend is safe like with you why would you trust her to be with someone else what if she was just climbing down that fire escape by herself Anywho. So she ends up getting away with David and they drive to this place as by the ocean, which I couldn't really tell what it was, but it, it was definitely, I want to say it was like up here, but it wasn't up here, but it was just this place that was kind of secluded. It was real open and they were right by the ocean. And so Nicole ends up revealing that she's actually only been living with her dad for a year and previously she did live with her mom where it was just them two but her mom was I think she had probably some mental issues like being depressed and so Nicole spoke about having to feel like she always had to take care of her and then like David asked her about her dad like oh well what's your relationship with your dad and you know, she kind of just mentions it's okay for what it is. And, you know, she's only been with him for a year. So, you know, nothing too close between them either. So then she, of course, asked him about his parents. He talks about like, basically his parents never argued about anything. They're kind of weird, but they get along. And he kind of kept it 
like that. Nothing too extensive about his life. But ultimately, they do seem to hit it off. And at one point, Nicole mentions that, you know, ooh, like, I have to be home by 12. And David ends up, like, turning her clock back. And he's basically like, we have all the time we want. And he kisses her. And this actually makes her late for curfew, which makes Laura upset. And, of course, she has to tell her dad. Because, mind you, this was the same night that her dad had went out of town. So, her dad wasn't there. It was just Laura. And Laura was waiting up for her. Now, after... Nicole's and David's first encounter they continue seeing each other they're having a good time and he even mentions to her that he wants to meet her family now he does meet the family right and everything goes really well and you know after that then you know she keeps seeing them and there's one point where her parents end up going out of town and she actually ends up giving him the code to the house, um, which we're going to learn about later that Steve built this house um, where pretty much only he knows like the infrastructure, like how it was built. He knows the ins and out about the house um, and especially like having a code because nobody it'll be, it'll ha- they'll have a harder time breaking in if it was like a doorknob versus like you need a code to get in. So she ends up giving the code to the house. And then this actually heightens their relationship. It takes their relationship to the next step because they actually do end up having sex. Now, shortly after, you know, this next step in the relationship, they're getting really serious. Um, David begins to show his true colors. Now, when he goes to pick up Nicole from school, because he does this often, Uh, This one time, like right when he pulls up to the school, Gary is hugging Nicole, okay? This infuriates David and he gets out the car, beats up Gary, and in the midst of beating up Gary, Nicole is trying to stop him and he pushes her away and ends up like, I guess he pushed her face or punched her face on accident and it gives her a black eye. Now, Nicole... When this happens, it was like, you hit me once, I'm done. Like, I don't care if it was an accident. No, this is not going to work. So Nicole is done with him um, because, you know, that's, you know, to, to get to that point where, one, she sees how violent he's being towards her best friend who is absolutely harmless. And then he also hit her as well. So she stops talking to him altogether and she wants nothing to do with him. He does end up sneaking into her school and he puts a note into her locker to meet him at Largo, which was technically the first place that they like saw each other. But of course she does not show. Um, He ends up sending her flowers, which she doesn't want. Um, And then eventually Nicole is like crying one night. She's really upset because she hasn't really said anything to her parents about him or what happened. And then the stepmom, Laura, ends up trying to console her. And then in the midst of her trying to console her, Nicole begins to spill what happened about like, you know, David beat up Gary and, you know, how angry he looked and how that scared her. And her dad ends up coming in the room. And he's like, oh, well, is he the person who gave you the black eye? Because she actually told her parents that she got the black eye from playing volleyball, like during PE. 
And so the dad was kind of suspect about that. And so when she tells the story, he's thinking, okay, well, he must have been the one to do that to you. And so she's like, I already told you dad what it was. And so she's just really upset about the situation. And then pretty much her Laura is like, okay, well, like, let me talk to her. You go. But before you go, give me the box of tissues. So, you know, cause she's crying. So she go, she can wipe her face. So as he's grabbing the box of tissues, he actually sees a condom on the floor. Actually, he sees a condom wrapper on the floor. And then he instantly is like, okay, like, I don't know what I did to you to make you like be this defiant, but this is enough. You're going to tell me everywhere you're going, you're no longer going to be seeing David and so on and so forth. He's laying down all these rules. And basically Nicole tells him, Hey, whatever happens between me and David happens with me and David. I don't need you telling me anything. I don't need you, you know, trying to get in the midst of our relationship. Like if we work, we work. If we don't, we don't. But at this time, she's not aware that her dad has actually seen that condom wrapper because that's why he's going off. And then at the same time, he doesn't even mention her. I'm telling you this because look at this right here, which I thought that was weird. I don't know. It's like if he would have just showed her that condom wrapper, wrapper that would have nipped that in the bud. Like, girl, you ain't you have no say so over what happens in this house because first of all, you're not even supposed to have him in my house and then you're doing this in my house oh no 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 no, ma'am um but he didn't do that and I thought that was weird so anyways um David continues to show up and to show up around Nicole trying to you know get back with her and of course he does end up you know um swiveling his way back into her heart making her forgive him and at one point he goes to their house and Laura's there. Nicole's there. Toby's there. They're having a good time there at the pool. And Steve sees this. Like he just comes home from work and sees David there. And he's upset because of course, seeing the condom wrapper, um, he knows that he was the one that, you know, hit her daughter, gave her the black eye. And so Steve is just really not feeling David. And so, you know, just with, you know, everything he knows about him, he's just really not feeling him. Um, and I, and initially like, he's kind of just like looking and seeing David there. And then he mentions to Laura, like, why is he here? And Laura's like, well, would you rather her sneak out or like be in front of us and be with him? Like, which one would you prefer? But he, at the end of the day, he's thinking, I don't want her around him at all. I don't care. Like if she needs to stay at home so she doesn't see him, then that needs to happen. But it's like Laura and Steve do not see eye to eye. He is, he, cause he can see through David and somehow Laura has these rose colored glasses on and, and she's, and she's acting completely naive. She's acting like she doesn't know what's going on or she doesn't see who he truly is. And Steve even gets a background check done on David to find out more about him, which he ends up finding out that, no, he wasn't in a two-person home. He was in foster care until he got kicked out when he was 18. And, you know, again, even when he expresses this, expresses this to Laura, she just... She she doesn't think anything of it. She's like, okay, well, maybe he was embarrassed of being a foster kid. Oh, well. But this still is not adding up to Steve. He is still creeped out by David. Like, it's just, he's not seeing anything good about this boy. 
So then Steve ends up showing up to Nicole's school to catch David before he picks her up because David drops her off and he picks her up. And when he catches him, right when he gets to school, he like pulls up next to him and he's like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? Like meet me up the street. So David's like, okay, sure. You know, they meet up the street, they park their cars, they get out. And Steve makes it clear that he does not want David seeing his daughter anymore. And David is trying to play it cool. And he's basically saying all these things like, I know you and your daughter have a dysfunctional relationship. You know, you're having issues at your job. You know, I know you aren't holding up your bargain with the missus. And he's actually referring to, um, there's an earlier scene when David first met the family where they're pretty much trying to like distract him or he's trying to get some dirt on him. And he has Margot go in the room, talk to Steve, and he's in there as well. And at one point, she, like, bends over, and because she, she's already wearing a short skirt. And when she bends over, her butt cheek's, like, peeking out. And he's, like, looking at it real hard. And he, he's, he's looking at the butt, but then he looks at David, who David was looking at him, who was looking at the butt. So he's like, okay, that's almost like David has some dirt on him. Which that was one thing I kind of had a realization of. But anywho, so yes, David's trying to play a cool, like, I know all this information about you. And Steve is pretty much like, I don't care. No, I don't want you with my daughter. Stay away from my daughter. I don't ever want to see you again. So then David, of course, does not stay away. Um, he actually picks her up from her house with no worries. Um, like it's nothing. Well, he ends up picking her, picking her up from the house because he goes into like, this is when he's really tapping into the psycho. He like beats on his chest and then he tells Nicole that her dad did it. So then Nicole is like, oh my God, you're a hypocrite. I saw what you did to him. How dare you? And then she sees this as her permission to just go out because well, you beat on my boyfriend. So I get to go out him, go out with him whenever I want. Because as soon as it happens, you know, he's like, what are you talking about? And she chases after him. Uh, she jumps in his car because he was already waiting outside. You know, he can't chase her because he he was going to jump in his car, but he left his keys in the house. And it's just a hot mess. Um, but then um, after all of that, David ends up dropping her back off at home. And he actually invites her over to his place um, but she's like, no, I can't. Cause she knows at the end, end of the day, she still has a curfew because she's living at home. So she's like, no, I can't. And he's like, okay, well, that's cool. You know, of course I'll see you tomorrow, whatever. So she, he leaves. And then she kind of has this like change of mind, I guess. Like, well, you know what? Forget my dad. I don't care what he thinks or if I'm out late. So then she ends up changing her mind, driving to his place. And when she drives there, she sees like there's a party going on. And so then... She's able to look through the window and she ends up catching Margot, who is like kind of grinding or like dancing on Logan. And then at one point, David comes behind her and he's basically trying to like grab her. And then he ends up like forcing Margot to go with him. So then this is Nicole seeing a totally different side of David because she's like, what the heck? Like you're trying to get with my best friend, but I thought you loved me what's going on so then um this causes a rift in Nicole and Margaret's relationship 
um, because this causes Nicole to once again be done with David. And then this causes David to really spiral out of control because at this point she's absolutely done with him because, you know, whatever happened the last time, yes, that was bad. She forgave him. But then this time she could not forgive him. And so then um, David begins to stalk Nicole and he is trying to not only get Nicole back, but he's also, you know, putting, he's also getting vengeance on her dad. And then at one point her, he ends up like, so he gets his vengeance with the dad and then the dad ends up retaliating. And then this all out war ends up happening as David is trying to get Nicole back by all means okay so it gets a little crazy um that's that's when you get that thriller side of of the movie um yeah he, he's just a hot mess and um this movie if you have seen Mark Wahlberg and like all his more like recent movies especially like movies where he's kind of like the family man and stuff um Mark Wahlberg I feel he was a different person in the 90s um and so th- I mean this is a more darker side of him I don't I don't believe he's played a dark role like this um, in his career um, other than this movie. Um, but I mean, I felt like he did pretty good. Um, one thing that's funny though, is there was this other podcast that I listened to and um, they had talked about this movie and they had mentioned how basically they feel as though he whispers the whole movie. And now I can never look at the movie the same because yes, he does whisper the whole movie. <laughs> And he hardly ever raises his voice. And it's just, it's pretty funny. Okay, now this movie was um, to go into some behind the scenes information. I know I say trivia. And I was thinking maybe trivia sounds kind of confusing. Because trivia is kind of like questions and like, here's a question. Or like, if you know this about this. But I always go into summary and then I talk about behind the scenes information. So this movie was inspired by the Bollywood movie Fear, which came out in 1993. I think that's so interesting um, when we take foreign films and then turn them into like we Americanize them. Um, So that's very interesting. Uh, This film was actually filmed in 1994 um but it was not released until april 1996 which i didn't really look up why but this is a great example that we when we see movies we're getting it in the moment that it's coming out right but all of the filming the post-production all of that takes time and some movies get it filmed quickly. Some movies film over years, over months. You never know. But like, don't always think that when you see a movie, they filmed it and did everything that same year. Because it very well could have been like done two years before. And now two years later, we're seeing it after, you know, we're seeing the finished product. Um. And then as of March 2nd, 2018, Universal Pictures is developing a reimagined take on this film with Jonathan Herman pinning the script and it will be told from a female perspective. What I thought was super interesting about this was the fact that the lead character or the lead actress was Amandala Steinberg. 
okay? Or Stenberg. I'm horrible at pronouncing names. Y'all should know that by now. Um, but let me see. I'm just going to look because um, my Bible, IMDb, uh, they, they let you know what actors are working on currently or things, yeah, things that are in the works, things that they've already done. And that's what I absolutely love about this page. I love that. Um, I'm trying to find where I can see all info, uh, for some reason we go on the website it looks super hard okay so yes they it's showing the fear um it says a lover's adoration turns to fear as the relationship begins to change a reimagined update to the 1996 film fear and it does still have her as the actress um but we're not quite sure who would play the boyfriend, the dad, any of that. And when it's in production or pre-production, that means the script could be getting written. The directors, you know, they're trying to lock in the director, trying to lock in the other actors, you know, casting director, so on and so forth. So, um, that was announced in 2018. I'm not sure what the progress is as of now in 2020, but you know, we definitely shall see. I personally would I mean, it's like I want to see a remake, but then I don't want to see a remake. Some of these movies, I feel as though they should be left alone unless they are really going to add some dynamic or add some element that was missing and like really bring the story to life and it'd be really good. Um, so I don't know. We just got to be on the lookout for that and, you know, see how that goes. And if we do get an update on that, I definitely will probably maybe end up doing um, some extra content talking about it. Um, cause I actually do have some things in the works or like kind of in development of some extra like bonus content I want to be doing as well. Oops. Did I just spill the beans? All right. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to get into our second movie here. Um, so lights, camera, action. I can't. I'm the swan queen. You are the one who never left the corpse. That quote is by Nina Sayers, played by Natalie Portman. In the movie Black Swan, that was released December 17th, 2010. Now, this is a movie that I was able to get the movie experience with. Um, I know I've done a lot of movies so far. I haven't done too many like new, new movies, but for sure this one is one that I actually had a movie going experience with and this was a movie where I left feeling so inspired to write to create something that is great because in my eyes this is one of the greatest movies that was ever made now normally I'm talking about favorite movies this is in my top five favorite movies is it number one I'm not quite I'm not sure which number it's on my list. I would probably want to say two, very close to one. Um, cause I have like a couple of movies that I could watch over and over again. I can watch movies again. I can watch movies where I am interested in looking at them again. And there's just some parts in the movie that stick out to me and still to this day, inspire me to want to write something great. Okay. So this movie was directed by Darren Ar Aronofsky. Aronofsky. 
He also directed Requiem for a Dream and the movie Mother. Now, I've also seen Requiem for a Dream. So he has definitely a certain style um, with the way that he directs. And I love it. Um, definitely an inspiration. Um, some of the writers we have are Mark Heyman. He also was a writer for the Skeleton Twins. We have Andres Hines, who was a writer for Origin of the Species. And we have John McLaughlin, who was a writer for Parker. And so in this movie, we are introduced to Nina Sayers, played by Natalie Portman, who dreams about dancing the white swan in Swan Lake. And this is quite literal because her actual dream is to be in Swan Lake and to star as the Swan Queen in real life. So she wakes up, she's warming up her body. Her mother, Erica, played by Barbara Hershey, makes her breakfast, um, which is simply a grapefruit because since she is a dancer, she does not eat fatty things. She does not eat sugary things. She does not, you know, isn't drinking soda and, you know, uh, consuming alcohol, doing all that extra stuff because I'm assuming as a ballerina, you want to be as light as possible, especially with, you know, standing up on your tiptoes. Now, Nina has a sort of childlike tone to her voice and to her personality. Um, she's a very timid person. Um, she is a dancer at this ballet company and she is super dedicated to the craft. Um, and it does have a lot to do with the fact that her mother was also a ballerina. Um, but you know, her mother had to give up her dream in order to raise her daughter. So her daughter is continuing her legacy. So now at this company that Nina dances for has a star ballet dancer. I assume maybe most companies do this or all companies. I'm not quite sure. I'm not too hip to, you know, the ballet world. Um, but in this company, they have a star. Her name is Beth McIntyre, who's played by Wyona Ryder. And I would want to add that I think this movie, um, had brought Wyona out. Um, I don't think she had been anything for a while, um, before being in this movie because, you know, why, Wyona Ryder was super popular. I want to say in the late eighties, nineties, or maybe just all of the nineties. Um, she was a super, super, you know, sought after, um, actress that we saw her in a bunch of movies. But, um, anyways, so as this company is entering into their new season, um, it is announced by Thomas Leroy, who's played by Vincent Cassell, um, that their first production is going to be Swan Lake and they're actually looking for a new Swan Queen. So the original queen is being dethroned. So this of course upsets Beth, but I mean, there's nothing much you can do about it. Um, she is a lot older than the other, you know, young ladies. So they're wanting a more fresh take, fresh dancer, um, to start putting on the scene. Now, um, Nina feels that this is her time to shine. Um, but she is the most calculated in her dancing, which is holding her back. She's very, she stresses herself out. She wants to be perfect, which she is one of the best dancers, but she is not giving like the emotion in it, you know? Um, cause it's like, I would assume dancing is 
a lot like acting you know it's not only like learning your lines and knowing you're blocking but it's the emotion it's the life into what you're putting into these characters because essentially the ballet dancers are playing characters in these productions they're just dancing instead of talking um so then um nina does end up auditioning for the part along with you know other girls in her um, company um, but she isn't very happy with her audition so she does end up practicing at home and the next day she goes to Thomas to ask for the part now she doesn't go straight out and say it she mentions to him like hey I've been practicing I finished it like she thinks she's done better and he pretty much lets her know like oh I already picked someone else and then he starts playing this game with her and I and I know he's trying to play this game with her because he's trying to get something out of her because he knows her potential. He knows how good she is, but he knows that she just has a hard time letting go. And so he, you know, lets her know, Hey, I, you know, I got someone else for the part, but you know, thanks for coming by. And then when she's like, okay, thank you. And walks out, he like shuts the door and he's like, well, why aren't you trying to like change my mind? Like, then what are you doing here? And she's like, well, I came to ask for the part. And then, you know, she's kind of like going on and he like kisses her, forces himself on her. And then she ends up biting his lip and, like running out of there and she knows this has ruined her chances but before all of that happened he did let her know that hey I know you would be the perfect swan you know queen or you'd be the perfect white swan because you're great but you don't have like the edge to be the black swan because the black swan is supposed to be confident um she's supposed to be seductive she's supposed to be like the complete opposite like the white swan is innocent um beautiful pure possibly timid but the black swan is confident um she knows herself she's one with herself she has free will she is her own person um and that is what nina lacks and so the casting ends up going up for the production of Swan Lake and Nina knows she doesn't have the part. And, um, he had told her one girl had had the part. Her name was Veronica. And so she doesn't even care to look at the cast list because she knows that she's not, she hasn't made it, but it ends up turning out that she did get casted because the girl who she told good luck looked at the list and was like are you like being sarcastic are you do you think this is a joke like what the hell is wrong with you and so then when nina goes to look at the list she sees that she is a swan queen she's surprised she's really happy um and it's everything she's ever wanted now while she is beginning to practice and trying to work on being the black swan she starts to hallucinate and she's seeing a dark side of herself so everything dark or kind of sinister or kind of just just everything kind of dark she is seeing herself in those like positions and so um everywhere she goes you know she's starting to see just like these more darker images about herself and she's also feeling intimidated by this newcomer to the company who is named Lily played by Mila Kunis now Lily she isn't about being a perfectionist she exudes free will um she's fun she likes to laugh she can let loose so she's the opposite of Nina right and 
also, um, there was a rash that we saw. I forgot to mention this. I don't know how I forgot this. Um, there is a rash that was developing on uh, Nina's shoulder blade. And this started at the very beginning of the movie. And then as she has, you know, since she got the part, it's the rash has gotten like worse. Like sometimes it bleeds. It looks like, you know, something's like sticking out like it's not looking normal but it starts to actually get worse as Nina's sanity begins to deteriorate um while she's trying to embody the black swan she's also struggling with her insecurities and she's trying to get under she's trying to get from under her mom's grasp who still treats her like a child um and so um Nina just begins to sprout out of control fast and she really can't catch a grip as she is trying to prepare for this role of a lifetime that she has always wanted so so really within this movie um Nina wears white okay um and and this is said that she wears white on purpose and the character Lily wears black okay so we're getting where literally Nina is representing the white swan and Lily is actually the black swan. Now this movie is loosely based on Swan Lake, but after looking at this movie again, I think this is like a live action version of Swan Lake, like movie form. Um, that's much darker than the actual ballet. And what kind of helped me come to this conclusion conclusions when I was looking at the character names um so Natalie Portman plays Nina Sayers um who is the swan queen okay and Natalie Portman was also in V for Vendetta Leon the professional then we have Mila Kunis who plays Lily she is the black swan um she was in Bad Moms and also in that 70s show we have Vincent Cassell who plays Thomas Leroy he was the gentleman um he played in the movie Eastern Promises we have Barbara Hershey who plays Erica Sayer she is the queen she was in the movie Insidious and uh Falling Down uh, we have Wyona Ryder, who plays Beth McIntyre. She's the dying swan. She's in The Heathers, Girl Interrupted. Uh, we have Benjamin Millipede, who plays David the Prince. He's known for being in The Black Swan. Um, and I believe him and Natalie Portman got married and have kids together, or a kid. Um, then we have Casina Solo, who plays Veronica. She is the little swan. Um, she is known for the movie Orphan Black. Then we have Christina Anna Pugh who plays Galena who was also a little swan and she was in the Grimm TV show also in um, the True Blood TV show as well okay so some trivia that we have here we have um, Darren uh, who was the director he actually told journalist Kim Masters in a radio interview that Natalie Portman not only trained for a year as a dancer to prepare for the role, but paid for the training out of her own pocket until the film found investors. And Darren attributed the films getting made all to Natalie Portman's dedication and enthusiasm. Um, now, in an interview with Charlie Rose, Natalie Portman stated that one of the most difficult challenges of making the film, aside from training and dancing, was modifying her voice. She stated that before working with Darren, directors had constantly criticized what they perceived to be the childish quality of her voice and encouraged her to work with vocal co 
coaches to make it sound deeper and more adult. The role of Nina required Portman to regress backwards and make her voice more childlike. She felt that doing so took her back to a point where where she worked hard to leave behind. So I think her having to speak in that childlike voice, which she already initially had, probably helped her character who was having like these psychological issues anyways. So I think a lot of that helped because her performance in this movie was chef's kiss, the best thing ever. Um, The script took around 10 years to make it to screen. Once again, do not give up. Just because your script doesn't get made in one year, two year, three years, just because you don't get a manager within a month, two years, whatever it may be. Um, I think looking at time as a factor is the most detrimental thing to a artist. Um, as long as you keep working on what you're doing and you have passion and faith that what you're doing is going to become something or it's something that people want to see or if it's something people need to see then she keep going at it and that's for myself as well and this is almost like um self-encouraging as well because yeah I'm dealing with my own issues as far as trying to find and pinpoint how to jump start my career how to dive into uh having my artistry become a full-time gig but it's a work in progress and Um, If I can encourage anyone who's in the beginning process, who is looking for some sort of sign to keep going. And if you're listening to this podcast, this is it. This is that sign. So keep going for it. You know, never give up and just, you know, keep being consistent, uh, persistent and find things that are going to drive you every day to get you to where you want to be. All right. Now we have. Our last little trivia here, Lily is always wearing black outfits as well as black underwear to signify her as Nina's opposite or a black swan. So like what I mentioned earlier was about how she literally is the black swan. And I think that's so cool. And I got um, even more appreciation from this movie to know that this was pretty much like a dark live action version of Swan Lake. (laughs) Um, That's so creative, so masterful. Oh my God. Like I have so many things to say about this movie because this movie in my eyes is perfect. Um, I swear when I have a little girl, she's going to be a ballet dancer. Uh, I I definitely in one of my scripts, I'm going to incorporate some type of ballet dancer in there. (laughs) This movie has completely inspired me and I love it. I love, love this movie. The symbolism, Oh my God. And then this is what I wanted to mention because this is a huge shout out that I have to give to this movie. The visual effects, the prosthetic special effects are amazing. Now, I know we have so many movies these days that have CGI, you know, all these effects, you know, a lot of movies that, you know, are being remade. The graphics are like crazy. Like, you know, we have like Jurassic Park and then they're redoing it. But of course they don't have to make these giant animatronics. They can just CGI it, right? Okay, Black Swan. And I don't know why this is not considered a staple movie as far as effects goes. Because the... There's not one moment there. There's only, okay, I'll take that back. There's one moment that looks kind of like that looks fake, 
but for the majority I'm not not gonna say majority all of the movie except one part which even then it's like okay because of the because of the like what's happening in the scene of course it's not gonna be like real but still the CGI the prosthetics are amazing okay shout out to the special effects artists the crew the supervisors you know whatever position the whole team and crew that had to do with the special effects in the in the black swan film deserve the highest praise ever and if i'm not mistaken i think this was sort of an independent film and just i've there's been bigger budget films that haven't done what black swan has did in this movie that's about a freaking ballet (laughs) i mean they're like it's mind-blowing when i look at the behind the scenes and they show parts where the ballet dancer uh her face was replaced with natalie portman's un-freaking believable i can't believe it it like there's a couple movies like I Tanya before I fall and you can tell when the actor's face is like superimposed or CGI'd onto someone else who's actually doing like the playing or the dancing or the skating or whatever but in Black Swan there's you can't tell you cannot tell when the audience is there and the way they CGI the audience is there you it looks like she's in front of a real audience these special effects artists deserve the highest praise i'm telling you when i to me because i can't really think of a lot of other ones but this movie as far as the cgi goes and imposing and imposing an actor's face on someone else and you you can't even tell when it begins when it ends you it looks like it's natalie portman the whole movie it's so slick it's so clean ah I honestly can not, I could give praise all day long about this movie because they, they were super sick with it. Like everyone involved, I don't know who these people are, but they have some sort of sorcery, some sort of magic. (laughs) No, I'm joking. It doesn't have to always do with that, but they have some skill. And what I'm going to need is those people to give some tips and stuff to other you know production companies and stuff like I hope they are working to this day because if they can show what they did in Black Swan oh my god oh my god they I just I would do a clap but I don't want to be so loud on the mic but I am giving you a round of applause right now great fucking job oh my god like low-key if I would if I do a movie and I I need to do something like that like I want to hit them up because they are crazy good all right now before I do let y'all go I just realized something and I realized this in the midst of uh (laughs) talking about Black Swan um I did not even go over the cast for fear okay I you know I told you the people that were you know the main actors or the main characters you know, that I brought up in the summary, but there's some other ones I did not mention. And of course, things that they've been in as well. 
So let me go ahead and go through that right now. So we're going to go back to fear for a little bit and talk about this cast here. So we have Mark Wahlberg, who plays David McCall. And Mark was also in Boogie Nights, which is another movie I want to watch. He was also in Ted, The Departed. He has been in a bunch of movies since this. Uh, Then we have Reese Witherspoon, who plays Nicole Walker. And Reese Witherspoon was in Legally Blonde, also in Walk the Line, Election. Reese Witherspoon is definitely a staple in Hollywood as far as movies go. She's been in a bunch as well and is still currently working as well. Um, Then we have William Peterson, who plays Steve Walker. And he is in, uh, he was in To Live and Die in L.A., He was in Manhunter. Uh, Then we have Amy Bierman, who plays Laura Walker. And I'm currently looking this up because I didn't have it written down, guys. But um, she was in Heat. She was also in Judging Amy, which it looks like that was a TV series. Uh, Then we have Alyssa Milano, who plays Margot Massey. Uh, She was in Charmed, a TV show. She was also in Commando. Uh, Then we have Christopher Gray, who plays Toby. And he was also in Reboot and and X-Men Evolution, which it looks like he voiced a character on there, that TV show. Uh, We have Tracy Frem, who plays Logan. Um, He's also been in Best Men and... Uh, the TV show, or I think that's a soap opera, Mel Rose Place. Uh, then we have Gary Riley, who plays Hacker. Um, and he was in Ruthless People, Summer School. Uh, then we have Jason Christopher, who plays Terry. And he was in The Game and I think that's Teach. It's almost spelled like leech, but with a T. Uh, then we have Jed Reese, who played Nobby. And he also played in Galaxy Quest and The Ringer. And then we have Todd Caldcott, who plays Gary uh, Romer. And he was also in Friday the 13th uh, part. Um, he also played in the TV show 21 Jump Street and the movie Mirage. Um, then we have Gary Bean, who was Eddie Clark. And uh, he played in the... Uh, Centennial and Look Who's Talking. Ooh, Look Who's Talking is my movie. Um, And then last but not least, we have David Fredericks, who plays Larry O'Brien. And he was in Rumble in the Bronx, Double Jeopardy. Okay, and the actual last one that we have is Andrew Arley, who plays Alex McDowell. Um, And he was in Fifty Shades of Grey. He was in Defying Gravity. And that is the cast that we have for Fear There. I'm sorry about that, guys. I don't don't know how I completely skipped the cast. You know I'm pretty good about, you know, going back and forth with that. Um, But you know what, guys? Um, That is going to be it for this thriller episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And you know what? The show is over. The credits are rolling and I will see you guys at the next show time.